Hey, how great was that? I am just so immensely grateful for the spirit of unity that the churches in Brea have, that we can honor the gospel, honor God through uh, just giving praise to him in this way. I'm so grateful for that. I, I'm appreciative of Robbie, who really did a lot of heavy lifting for that. And by the way, just want to make a disclaimer, we did not choose the song. Uh, somehow that's the chong that, uh, song that was chosen, but we're grateful for um, all that uh, we are able to do. And I know a lot of the churches in Brea are opening up even today, so uh, praise God for that. Hey, you know, uh, these two weeks have been uh, kind of an interesting time, hasn't it? Um, having a lot of conversations with uh, people um, and... Um, a lot of people are angry, a lot of people are sad, a lot of people are in fear. And, you know, it started maybe a couple of weeks ago, if you think about it. Um, a man by the name of Ahmad Arbery was taking a, a jog around his house and was gunned down. And there was a lot of anger. And, you know, to be honest with you, it's something that I cannot relate to because I don't think I've ever uh, taken a, a jog or a run around the house and felt like I was giving other people fear by my, my gigantic presence. Um, just um, a few uh, days ago, a man by the name of Christian Cooper was taking a, a walk in um, a park in New York and had a confrontation with this woman. And she reacted by pulling out her phone and saying there's a, an African-American uh, man uh, threatening me etc. You know, I, I don't know if you can relate, but I know I've had instances where I've had confrontations with people, and I feel like the accusation or the emotion on the other side uh, stem largely because I'm a minority, and I'm different. I offend them. But the, the incident that really caught the attention of a lot of people is uh, George Floyd. And I know that my wife and I, when we were looking at the video, we were watching it like, like an agonizing eight to nine minutes or so. And it was painful to watch. Um, couldn't understand why. And then there was a, another officer that kind of appeared, and the officer was doing crowd control. And it was evident he was Asian-American, and I remember even as I was watching the video, I was saying to that officer, do something. Why are you just standing there? Turn around. To be honest with you, I don't know if I am able to relate to the officer who was uh, doing what he was doing or George who was on the ground, but I identified with that Asian-American officer who was standing by. And my friend Richard Lee wrote a, an article featured on Sola, and he echoed really what I was feeling. I was the Asian man in this video, refusing to intervene, conveniently avoiding the conflict, which appears to be so clearly a black and white issue not needing to be involved in the messiness of the race conversation in America. You know, this week I've been uh, 
talking to different people, and mostly doing a lot of listening. And one of the conclusions that I've come to is that I don't know a lot. I thought I knew, but I am realizing there's a lot more than I didn't know. Uh, I've been talking uh, yesterday because of the riots in L.A., and my daughter lives in L.A. I reached out to my daughter and her husband, but I also reached out to a lot of the law enforcement people we have at our church. We have a, a, a lot more than we thought, and, and I know that um, uh, Benson and I, we were reaching out to different officers. Are you deployed? How are you doing? How are you feeling? You know, um, it would be presumptuous of me to try to say anything really profound or um, life-changing, and I, I don't have anything of that nature. I'm still just kind of learning. And so, you know, what I want to do today is after the message, um, a little bit later, I invited my friend Vaughn, um, and Vaughn and I, we've been friends for a while, and uh, to come and have conversation together. And I know we've talked already, and it's been so immensely helpful, but we'll talk a little bit later, and so I'm grateful for that. But you know, for the year 2020, we began the year uh, thinking that we we're going to go through the book of Mark as we try to answer the question, who is Jesus? And that is still the relevant question that we would like to answer this year. But in order for us to do so and get back into the gospel of Mark, you know what I'm going to do today is take a brief look at the gospel of John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. And verse 14, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and verse 14, and it is uh, a passage that many of you know. I'll be reading from the ESV. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the, light, and the darkness has not overcome it. And verse 14, and this is where we're going to uh, spend a bulk of our time. And, and by the way, we have a new TV here up on the stage. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten, only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we, began, we begin with the phrase, and the word became flesh, and God became man. It's a theological truth that a lot of us uh, in this room and online we know, but there are two profound um, uh, implications to this. That first is that God became knowable, and secondly, God became vulnerable. First of all, God became relatable. God became relatable. Now, to understand the full force of verse 14, we go back to verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, the Word is an expression of who God is, and in verse 14 it tells us the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us. You know, we know uh, theologically that the reason why God had to come in the form of a man is to give his life a ransom for many. Theologically, he had to be a substitutionary atonement for the forgiveness of our sins. We kind of all know that. But here's the question that I want to pose to you. Um, and the question is this, why 
did God have to come and dwell among us? If God uh, logically had to give us life for ransom for many, is there still a need for God to come and dwell among us? Uh, let me expand that hypothetical question again or even further. If for, a, um, if for example, if we know that God is a sovereign God, he created the laws of physics, and I know in, in Christian apologetics, we often talk about, you know, if there's sin, there has to be a moral uh, uh, balance, and so the, the price of sin has to be paid. Well, could God not have changed the laws of moral physics and spoken to existence forgiveness? Why did he have to come and die? If someone has to give blood, why did God himself have to incarnate and, and have to come down? Could not God have sent an emissary, an ambassador, to give uh, their life a ransom for many? If the gospel message had to have been preached, could God not have uh, done it in another way? Could God not have uh, written an electronic, uh, eternal email, uh, write it across the universe and say, here it is. Why did God have to come and speak that message? Could God not have simply driven by and honk at humanity? Could, could God not have simply posted something on social media, hashtag God loves you and good luck? Could, could God not have simply sent a, a viral video? Why did God have to come and dwell among us? I, I think it's a, it's a valid question. And God did the unexpected, that he not only became flesh, but he dwelt among us. I love this phrase, by the way. God dwelt among us. I think it's a phrase that, and the thought, the idea that we should kind of pause on. God dwelt among us. He came and, and he moved into our neighborhood and he lived with us. He ate the food that we eat. He, he walked the streets that we would walk. He lived the lives that we would live. You know, if you think about it, in the history of the universe, and scientists believe that the universe is perhaps 13.8 billion years old, and we don't know how much longer in the future it will go, but the life of Jesus, some 33 years, is a mere speck compared to all of history. Why was it important that God came and dwelled for those 33 years in the flesh? You know, some believe that God had to do so, so that he would understand us and he can sympathize with us. And, and perhaps that is partially correct. But if we go back to John chapter 1, verse 14, let's look at it again. Um, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. I believe one of the reasons, if not one of the primary reasons, that God had to come and just stay, dwell with us, is so that it would give us, broken human beings, an opportunity to see the invisible God that we cannot see. 
that we can know and relate to a God that we cannot relate to. Colossians 1.15 says, And Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And so Jesus says of himself in John chapter 14, verse 9, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so Tim Keller uh, concludes that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is. Is, and I, I want us to understand this really important point that uh, we can all theologically understand that uh, sin and death required uh, the death of a perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Okay, we, we can kind of theologically, logically believe all that. And the efficient thing for God uh, would have been somehow provide that uh, substitutionary atonement and still not have lived 33 years of his life here. But God's goal isn't simply to save us. God's end point isn't simply to forgive us. Listen carefully, this is important. I, I have a few people here now, so I'm getting all excited. I can like look at you. I haven't been able to do that. You know what I mean? But <laughs> yeah. Um, God's goal simply isn't to forgive and save us. Listen carefully. God's goal is to relate to us, to have intimacy with us, to have you, us know him and vice versa. And that requires for him to be relatable, to come in a way that we can see and behold him. What is God like? It's kind of like asking um, what is um, gravity like? And what is electromagnetic uh, field like? It's hard for us to um, understand the transcendent. What is God like, a personal loving God? We look at the life of Jesus. We read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and say, okay, Jesus, the embodiment of God, can give us a picture in a way that we can understand. What is God like if he had lost the Father? What, what would God be like if he had to live under the oppression of an oppressive government? What would God be like when he had to relate to the marginalized, the diseased, the outcast and we can look at the gospels to see what god would be like well what kind of a car would god drive or designer clothes that god would wear or um, a basketball uh, team he would follow and you know we can look at martha mark luke and john and we don't know the answers to that and that's a, and listen that's important because it tells us that when god wanted to reveal himself to us those things were not important but the heartbeat of God can be seen in Jesus. God became relatable. There's a second uh, implication to the uh, uh, Jesus, uh, God becoming flesh, and it is God became vulnerable. God became vulnerable. Um, 
You see, when God decided to become man, He not only became relatable, something that we can see and, and, and touch and understand, but when He did so, something else also happened that is that He became vulnerable. And He had to become vulnerable to become killable. When When God took off the robe of divinity and put on the robe of humanity, uh, the invincible God became a vulnerable God. And when he got close to man, and the closer that he got, and he dwelt among us as a man, he was able to be vulnerable to the pain and the ugliness that man can incur upon Jesus. Distance is safe, but the closer you get, we become more vulnerable. Let me, let me give you um, an illustration. You know, during the COVID uh, lockdown, one of the things that we've done is communicate, relate to people more electronically from a distance. You know, one of the easiest ways to, to communicate to people is through a digital text, whether it be text, DM, or email, and it's great, you know, you can text people, and all you do is actually communicate information, and sometimes you can even have a conversation texting. Uh, it could be texting someone, Mike, and Mike can text me back, and we can have almost a semi-conversation, right, Mike? And then, you know, I don't know if you've ever, this has ever happened, you're texting back and forth, you're having a good, healthy conversation, and then that other person, um, you can tell they started texting because there are these three dots that appear. Have you, has that ever happened? So you're just kind of waiting. Like you can't go anywhere because you, you feel like you're having a conversation and you're looking at the three dots and that three dots there for like, like it feels like eternity. You know, it's really hard to have a communication electronically. And so the telephone is a better way because when you are talking to that person over the phone, you feel like you can have really a relationship. You can get the, the intensity and the volume, the cadence. But, you know, when Zoom came around, and we, were all, we all kind of discovered Zoom at the same time, we thought, boy, this is better than anything else. Why drive in California to meet anyone when you can just Zoom them? It's so much more convenient. You can not only look at them and hear them, but you can do PowerPoint presentations, share screens, and, I'm, you know, world is just not the same anymore. So I remember, I'll be honest with you, church, if, if I had to Zoom you sometime these past two months, I thought, I love Zoom. I'm never going to meet these people ever again. You know, let's just Zoom. Uh, but like with a lot of you, after a couple of months, I, I'm just getting tired of Zoom. Aren't you? They get tired of looking at the screen. And on the other side of the screen, you know that they're tired of looking at you because they're looking at another monitor or doing something else. But why do we Zoom, phone call, text right now in this particular period? I'll, I'll tell you why. We do all that because intimacy is dangerous right now. Physically gathering, people said, is dangerous. So stay away. Uh, a, f- a couple of weeks ago, the full-time pastors, we met for the first time in a long time. 
We all had masks on. We all like were distancing. We all wiped down the tables before and afterwards. I'm telling you, it felt so good to physically meet with our pastors. It felt alive. Uh, Digital is safer, but it doesn't get us to intimacy, closeness, communion. communion. When you when you get close to people, that's when you you, you can relate more. When you when you have incarnate presence, that's when you can really relate. But there's a an element of danger because you can catch what the other person had. That other person can hurt you more. Listen carefully. This is what I'm trying to lay at, uh, get at. Jesus Christ uh, incarnated so that he can get close, but that also means he was vulnerable to us. And as an incarnate man, he was able to experience uh, poverty. He, he was able to experience what it felt like to have his friends misunderstand him and abandon him and, and sell him out. He was able to uh, understand what it felt like uh, to, uh, to be mistreated by those in authority. He was able to feel, uh, feel what it feels like to be uh, an oppressed group. You know, it's interesting, Jesus could have come in any nationality, but he came as a Jew. Perhaps the most oppressed group ever in the history of humanity. But what was interesting is that in the t- lifetime of Jesus, he not only experienced oppression, but the Jews were the, also the oppressors as they oppressed the Samaritans. And if you ever read the gospel accounts, look carefully at how Jesus deals with, relates to the Samaritans. Jesus knew what it felt like to be sinned against. And that is why Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, sympathized, soon Pascal, one who has suffered with us. Jesus did not come in a position of authority, although he could have, but in weakness, and suffered alongside of us in order to be close to us. He was vulnerable. You know, one of the things in the midst of a national calamity or trauma, if you ever look at those signs or if you, if you look at p- different people's posts, when people become so exasperated, like there's no hope, one of the things that people, Christians especially say is, Lord, come. Lord, come. Because we can't solve it. We ourselves know that we're the problems. Lord, come. But listen, I have good news for you. The Lord did come. He came and dwelt among us. Not only for the oppressed, but for the oppressors. He came and he experienced the pain that we've incurred on him. And yet without sin. He came so that we would know who he is, the love and the patience that he has. And that same Lord Jesus who came died on the cross for you and me. And it is he and he alone that we need to um, hold on to. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the hope 
that we have only through you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.